Welcome back to the I Am Redemption podcast. And today we have an extra special guest with us. We have a four-time USA national champion, a one-time NCAA champion, and a 2021 Tokyo Olympian. Today we have Miss Allison Gibson with us today. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so excited to be here talking to you about my journey and your journey. And also I just want to shout out the facility that we're filming this in is so near and dear to my heart because it's such uh, an essential part of my journey coming back to training after the Olympics. Um, and so it's awesome to be here recording this with you in this place. Cool, that's, that's awesome. You, um, so I listened to some, some of the stuff about your story and it grabbed me from, from the very first moment. I was tremendously surprised with how much kind of overlap we have. Obviously very different journeys, but it seems like we have a bunch of overlap. Yeah. Um, you, I don't, I don't want to tell your story for you. So where did, uh, where did this whole kind of recent journey begin? You were in the 2021 Olympics. Do you want to kind of take us from there? What happened and where we're at now? Yeah, for sure. So I had always dreamed of being an Olympian ever since I was a small child. I always watched the Olympics and it was something that was always in my heart as something I wanted to do. And so I trained my whole life working effortlessly, tirelessly, um, pursuing that and first it started out in swimming and then eventually it became diving and after that um, I just trained uh, went to the University of Texas where Matt Scoggin was my coach he took me to an NCAA championship and then he predicted he said Allison you're going to be an Olympian someday and I was like yeah okay Matt whatever this is my dream but whatever um, but sure enough a few years later he takes me to the Olympics and I go compete it's like the time of my life right it's a dream it's something I've worked for for forever but it was one of the most heart-wrenching competitions of my life it was kind of one of those moments where you reach the pinnacle of your career mm. and you're like i finally made it i've been dreaming about this for forever and i just i let the energy and the pressure of the moment get to me and i let doubts and fears and all of these different elements just encapsulate my mind and my body and it was not a good competition for me so i remember just kind of curling up in a ball in my brain and being like, I don't want to face the media. I don't want to read the text messages, but I had to go through the media line. And after I competed, I went back to the Olympic Village and I was battling with how to process it. And so I ended up coming back from the Olympics. I was getting my master's degree. And so my thought was, you know what? I made the Olympics. I achieved this goal. It didn't go exactly the way I wanted, but I did it. I'm going to leave that behind. Now I'm going to pursue my career because that was something that, that was the next step. You know, I was gonna graduate with my master's degree that December. I was ready to get a job, make money, have free time in my life for the first time ever. And so that's what I did. I left the Olympics behind me, retired in full confidence thinking, you know, I'm done with this. And earlier this year in June of 2023, that was when USA Nationals happened. And I had a few people reach out to me and they said, hey, Allison, you should come back to dieting. And I was like, no way. My just, life is amazing. Just, like, when, just when you thought they were out there pulling you back in? Yeah, yeah. Just when I thought I was out, I was totally at peace with my life. I built completely new relationships in Austin. I'm crushing it at my job. Everything was going amazing. And I felt this call back into diving. And I was like, ah, I thought it was done here. What's going on? And so I sat with it in silence and prayer for two weeks. I didn't talk to anyone about it. And I kept feeling the tug on my heart that there was something more for me. 
And so then I talked to my mentors. I said, hey guys, like, there's this opportunity in front of me. What do you think I should do? And every single person I talked to, person after person after person said, you should pursue this. You can work the rest of your life. Yeah. Well, you can't train and compete in the Olympics for the rest of your life. Right. And that really stuck with me. And so I decided, I think I'm going to do this thing. And I talked to my parents and they said, we're going to support you through it. And then I talked to my company and this was a scary moment because it's like, well, you know, if I tell them this, like, I don't know if I'm going to have a job at the end of this meeting. So I went in and I talked to them. I said, hey, guys, like, I feel called to do this thing, to pursue the Olympics. I'm going to do it. You're either on my team or you're not on my team. And they came back to me a few days later and they said, hey, we want you to keep working with us. We don't want to lose you. And they allowed me to start working part time. Um, so blessed to have an amazing team around me. And after that, it was just like, OK, here we are. Like, I'm doing this. Um, I felt full confidence, full support. And that's kind of what got me back into it. And I had to face a lot of fears in making that decision. I had to make a lot of sacrifices. But I believe when you feel called to do something yep. with your whole heart, you have to take that leap of faith. Right. And so that's what I did. That's that's great. The I, I don't know if people can understand, like, I know if I don't get a lift in the gym or if I don't like if I don't hit a certain lift at a certain weight I'm trying to get, like, it'll mess me up for a couple of days. Yeah. If my football team doesn't win on Sunday, then it'll mess me up until Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. And so those are those are what I deal with. But like you're saying, when you reach the level of competition that you're at, having to deal with the media, the family, friends, people saying stuff like, what is that? What was that like for you? I think I was really blessed because I was surrounded by people who loved me for who I truly was. Mm -hmm. And when you're surrounded by people who only care about you for the accolades or the money or whatever it might be, that's when it gets really tough. Because the second you let them down, they mm -hmm. disappear yeah. quicker than ever. But when you're surrounded by people who truly value you for who you are, and when you know what your identity is and where your value comes from, that makes it so much more bearable. And so for me, I remember actually after the Olympics, I checked my phone. I was dreading it because I was like, oh, I know everyone back home watched this. But I had all these text messages and they were so supportive and so loving. And one of my friends was just like cracking jokes. And I was sitting there like tears coming down my eyes, but I was also laughing at the same time. And that's what I found is the true value in life is community. You know, an accolade, an award, a medal, it's going to sit on the shelf and get dusty. When you die, you can't take it with you wherever you're going. But those relationships that you build, those are the things that carry on and can carry on past your time here on Earth um, in the next generation. That's, that's awesome. That message right there is such an important message, even not even for people in your field, but just for everyday people, because it's a very valuable life lesson of the people you choose to allow to be around you. Yes. Um, I, I talk with the people that I train and the people that I work with and and, re and recovery and get them to understand like it is a choice to allow people to be around you you don't yeah. have to accept everybody and but the people you choose to have on your team or be around you need to be helping you work towards that goal yeah obviously like you're saying people that are hanging around you for for money or the stardom or this or that like those people scurry as soon as things get tough but you did it right from the get-go and kept close people or good people around you like that's yeah. a i hope everybody at home like values that and and they catch that out of this episode for sure yeah. yeah what um 
So what was it about the the diving or, or swimming or the pool? Like at what age did it kind of click to you where it was like, oh, wow, I have something special with this. Like I can do something with this. Yeah, I mean, my mom always was a strong believer in swimming. She's She said, you know, swimming is so good for you. It's good for your heart. It's good for your body. It's good for your joints. You know, there are a lot of other sports you can do, running, you know, whatever that are hard on your knees and things like that. Whereas with swimming, you don't have that same pressure. And so she was always intent on my brother and I being able to swim. So ever since I can remember, I swam. I, in fact, my parents joked that I could swim before I could walk. It was kind of, they just threw me in a pool and I would just float, you know? Um, and so I've always loved the water. I've always had an affinity for it. And so that's kind of how I got started in the water and swimming. And when I was about seven years old, we started training down at the Texas Swimming Center where, you know, I grew up spending most of my time in the sport. Um, and I was very intent on swimming, but I met the diving coach, Matt Scoggin, and he said, hey, you know, I see that you work really hard. I think you'd be good at diving. And at the time I was very into swimming. And so I said, no, you know, swimming is where it's at. But a new head coach came to the swim program and said, that my group could only train five days a week, but I had to be there six days a week because my brother was there. And so I asked my parents, I said, hey guys, you know, I have to be here six days a week anyway. This coach told me I should try this thing. Can I do it? Mm-hmm. My parents were like, yeah, sure, whatever, thinking nothing of it. And it was like magic. The second I touched the diving board, I just felt like that was where I was meant to be. It was, it was like, I, I felt like I was created for that. And I know you said you played basketball when you were younger, and I don't know if you ever had that feeling, but it's such an amazing feeling when you feel like you're truly doing what you were created to do. And, and with diving, that's really what happened. And it was, it was pretty cool to see where it brought me. Right, that's, I've heard you say that before, and that, that, that's where I feel we have so much overlap because it was a large portion of my life. I didn't know what I was meant to do. I didn't know what it was all for. Yeah. And then I had messed up so many things and got in all this trouble and drug addiction. And it's like, how could I know what my purpose on earth was? But now at life where I'm at now, you know, knowing that I had to go through all that to be who I am today and do this, this is what I was meant to be put on earth to do. I was meant to take that experience and use it to help people. I was meant to speak to people, you know, whether it's a podcast or working with people in treatment. But exactly like you're saying, it's almost like a flow state thing where it's like, I'm I'm in my groove and this is what I was, this is what I was put here to do. This is what I was meant to do. I was not meant to do a nine to five job or anything yeah. like that. This is, this is why I'm here. And so it's a very empowering feeling. Yeah, it definitely is. I think that it takes courage too. Um, you know, with your story and what you were talking about, like you had to, to go from one state where you were acting a certain way and doing certain things and you had to fully do a 180 and shift the way you acted the people you surround yourself with. It takes a lot of courage to do that. And what was that like for you, kind of going through that transition from addiction into now this health-focused lifestyle? Good question. Um, it, was, it was very easy for me because much like we just talked about before about the people I chose to allow to be around me, when I, you know, unfortunately I got in trouble, I had to go away for a while. I was under a delusion when I went away that my girlfriend was gonna write me, that all these good friends I had, they were gonna put money on my books and they were gonna write me. Not, none of those things happened. Yeah. And so I quickly realized I was not keeping the right people around me. When I finally got sober and I started getting more involved into the running and the fitness community, that's where I really found that aspect and 
those people that were, around, they, were they were on my team for the right reasons. They only wanted to yeah. see me succeed. So it was an easy transition into that. Plus, I had found, you know, we talked previously that I was a, I was a person that lacked um, inspiration. Yeah. Um, I, I lacked that drive. And there was nothing to be inspired about. And then I found running and started running races. And I found that again in my life. And so that was a, that was what I was looking for. That was the void I was trying to fill. I think the whole time I was trying to fill it with drugs. So yeah, it was a, I don't want to say it was an easy transition, but in some senses it was easy to step into. Yeah. Just because I was so excited. Yeah. So happy. No, for sure. And one thing you mentioned that I just want to call out is filling the void. Mm-hmm. I think that in this world, we try to fill the void with so many things, whether that's success in school, success in your sport, money, what kind of car you drive, what kind of friends you have, how many followers you have. And what I've realized, and this is something I've seen in so many of my friends, I have friends who've been incredibly successful in business and you know they sell a company and they have millions sitting in their bank account and they can buy the car they want or the house they want or all these things. And so they do, they buy it and then they realize like, wow, this fulfillment that I thought I had, this void that I thought I filled, isn't filled. And these mm-hmm. things bring joy for a moment or happiness for a moment, but it's so fleeting. Nope. And I think that we're all on a mission to fill that void in our lives in some form or fashion. It's something I've realized, and this is why I always come back to community, and this is why I come back to faith, because material things can only make you happy for so long, but they get old, yep. and they get dusty, and they break. But one thing is your faith is something that can't be taken away from you. It's something that no one can, people can judge you for it. But, but again, no one can take it away. And your community, your true community, your true friends, those are people that will be around you for a long time. And that is what brings joy. Um, you know, it's like you can sit in that super nice house, but if you're sitting in that really nice house alone, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's really I've been on a mission to understand what it means to fill that void, what success means, and where my identity lies. Right, absolutely. And I love, I love that you you brought up brought, you brought up faith because, for whatever reason, you know, we we talked a little bit about before we started the podcast. For whatever reason, talking about God or faith seems to be taboo to some people like that. And yeah. so I was asking you if you're wanting to talk about that because you know you're talking about having a calling. Yeah. And there's. There's been so many things to happen in my life since I got sober and even today now that are, it's, it's too astronomical to be coincidence. Like yeah. if it's not God, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. um, it can only be that. And, and I'm perfectly fine saying that and saying that publicly. Yeah. But what was it like for you when you were sitting there talking about getting this calling? Was it, do you think it was God trying to tell you where you belonged or what? Yeah, 100%. I believe that timing is so important and I always say this God writes a better story than I could ever dream or imagine and I look at my life from childhood to where I am now and there's so many moments where I'm like I could have never written this story as eloquently as it is written based on the timing of things and the people that have come in and out of my life in in certain phases and I 100% believe that this calling back into my sport is God's calling for me And I think he also called me out of my sport. There's something to say about rest and true rest. And I think God put it on my heart to retire and to step away because I needed to do that. I needed to recover. I needed to face things that I hadn't faced. I needed to 
build relationships that I hadn't built. And after doing that, then I was able to come back into my sport with a fresh love and a fresh excitement and a fresh purpose that I never would have had if I would have stepped away. And the timing of it truly is incredible. And I mean, I didn't think it was possible. Like I originally thought I need a year and a half or two years at least to train to even have a chance at making it to the Olympics. And that time passed. And after that time passed, I was like, okay, cool. I'm definitely retired. I'm definitely not coming back. And then literally like five months ago, six months ago, God was like, psych, like, I want you to come back. And I was like, God, what? Like, this isn't even possible. How am I going to make the Olympics with less than a year to train? Like, I, like, that's just a crazy thought. Right. But God said, no, like, I'm calling you into this for a purpose greater than yourself, greater than a gold medal. Like, this is not about, like, just diving. This is about so much more. And when I heard that calling, it just made me realize, like, okay, like, anything is possible with God. God is telling me to do this. And if God's telling me to do it, then, like, I'm not just going to do it. I'm going to go all in with all my heart. Right. There's, there was a portion of my life where things were not good. Yeah. And I was very closed off to the, even the idea of God. And <clears throat> there was, I forget how they put it, but it's hard to hear. It's hard to hear somebody talking to you when you're not trying to listen. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and so I feel like the whole time I was, you know, there's people I'm sure listen to this, that they, they might have a, a different relationship with God. And they're like, well, I don't hear anything like that. And I needed to realize unless I opened my eyes, I was so consumed with my selfish needs all the time, the yeah. drugs, the money, the this, the that, that I never opened my eyes and ever tried to listen. Yeah. And as soon as I sat my ass down and did away with some of that stuff, I mean, I see signs and stuff all the time that, that I can feel the pull in which direction I'm supposed to go. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really cool that you brought that up, that transition. So what did that look like for you? What was kind of that turning point or that person that made you go, hey, I really should open my eyes to faith. To faith? Um, oh, I don't know if the podcast is long enough for this story, but <laughs> um, I'll, t- I'll, tell, I'll, t- I'll try to tell it quick. So running, anybody that knows me knows that running completely transformed my life. Yeah. Was the, the missing key for me, running, it helped me get sober. It helped me get my family back. Running did for me what I didn't know it could ever do, right? And so when I was getting kicked out of the military, um, that was the first time I'd ever went to treatment. And so I go into treatment. I was not there for the right reasons. I was there to get out of trouble. I was not there to get sober. I ended up meeting a, a young gentleman in there. He ended up becoming my like rehab, rehab homeboy yeah. the whole time. And we hung out. And so I get out of treatment. I didn't really talk to him again. And I started dating a girl from out of the treatment center, which yeah. is anybody that's in recovery knows horrible mistake. <laughs> not, not good. Yeah. So end up with her, end up in a very toxic two-year relationship, toxic on both ends. Um, we just weren't meant to be together. And I end up getting in trouble. I'm going away to prison. And so I go, I do my time, I get back out, and I make a logical drug addict decision and decide that I'm going to look the girl up again and see what she's up to. <laughs> no. So I look her up, and uh, she starts texting me. I start texting her. We'll come to find out she's with my young buddy from the treatment center. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so he finds out about me. And so he's calling me, he's texting me. And uh, it was all the makings that we were going to fight eventually. Yeah. And so um, 
one night I had had enough of all the back and forth and so I showed up over his apartment and I was knocking on the door and the girl at the time, she wasn't in a good place. So she was, I think she was pretty excited that two guys were ready to fight over her. Yeah. So she was egging it on probably a little bit and he didn't, for whatever reason, he didn't come out, we didn't fight, but she ended up leaving and coming with me. Wow. So <clears throat> I have this grand plan that we're gonna move away. We moved to Temple, Texas, and that's where everything's gonna be okay if we go there. And so I go there and um, we get a little uh, cheap hotel room and she starts unpacking her stuff. And so all of a sudden out comes an iPad and a laptop and a cell phone and all this electronic stuff I know is not hers. Now one time, this, I'm sorry, this, try, try to stay with me. Like, I'm, I'm staying with you. <laughs> so the, I never, in my entire addiction, I never stole. Yeah. It always just felt like bad, bad karma. I didn't want to do it, so yeah. I just never stole. So. I ended up calling the guy up and, I, you know, the only problem we had was the girl. Now I have the girl back, so I don't want your stuff. Yeah. So I call him and I was like, hey, man, we got your stuff. You're more than welcome to come get it. I'm not going to do anything with it. Yeah. And so he ends up sending his mother to come pick the stuff up because he thought I was, like, setting him up. Yeah. Right? Wild move. But so I give her the stuff back. That's that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, fast forward three years later, I end up in Austin. I'm in treatment and I start running. Yeah. And running all of a sudden starts transforming my life. Yeah. And I found out about a woman and she run, her name's Penny and she runs these trail races. Yeah. And so I seek her out and I start asking her about it and I ask her if she'll train me up for my first race. So she says yes. So we're out running trails one day and she's teaching me like how you're able to run downhill at full speed and like basically yeah. bound down and just uh, all the little intricacies of ultra running. And... She's asking me questions and I'm very open about my story. And so I'm telling her my whole story and I'm telling her I got kicked out of the military. And yeah. I ended up in treatment and I started dating this girl. And at one point I said the girl's name and she has a unique name for a girl. Yeah. And so when I said the name, my friend Penny who was running stops dead in her tracks and she looks over at me and she goes, do you know my son? And I was like, well, who's your son? Her son was my young buddy from the treatment center. Oh, wow. She was the mother that had come picked up the, that stuff off me years prior. Right? That's crazy. Now, think about the astronomical chances of, of how that story went down. Yeah. I could have robbed him. He could have robbed me. We could have fought. I could have robbed the mother. Like, yeah, million different things, right? What is the chances that I leave a, leave a city in Austin yeah. that has millions and millions of people? I leave for years, and I come back, and I get plugged in with the one person that would literally introduce me into the avenue, which would save my life. Wow. Right? Yeah. Now, if that's not God working for me, <laughs> I don't know what it does. And so ever since that day is the day I know I don't care what anybody says, when, any, when I see on TV or social media, like, God is real to me. Like, that's, that's the only way I can describe that. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So. No, that's incredible. And I think this is just such a cool way of seeing how nobody is too far gone. I think that sometimes in faith, there's this expectation that you have to be perfect or live a perfect life or if you've done X, Y, and Z, then God will never love you. Right. And I think your story is such an incredible representation of the facts that God can use anybody and God can take a really painful and difficult past and turn it into something so beautiful and such an amazing testimony. And I've seen that over and over again in people's lives. And what you said about being willing to open your eyes is so, so valuable. Um, because I have friends who are searching for meaning, but they also aren't willing to open their eyes. Um, and so the fact that God really stepped in and you were able to open your eyes is 
so incredible and really inspirational. Like, it's life changing. And uh, oddly enough, you know, you can uh, you can ask Jason over there. Just about every podcast we do, God comes up. <laughs> just about every podcast. You know what I mean? And there hasn't been one person we've had on that like is a priest or a you know a, a preacher or anything Pre- like yeah. that. But it always comes up, and so it's. I know it's close to the work that I do. I know it's close to the people that I work with and the, yeah. the people I'm close to. So, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's it's pretty incredible. And yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So what? So you. You've been in the Olympics before, you know what it's all about. You've taken some time off. What is your mindset, your approach? What do you like, what's the difference this time with how you're, how you're gearing towards it? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked this question. It's a pretty big difference. I think the first time around I was, I was younger, I was more mature and I was doing it very much alone in the sense that we were in the middle of COVID. I couldn't even work out at a gym with the team. And like, there was just a lot of like disjointed um, and I felt like I was just kind of in my own little corner, just training really hard. And I really just cared about the success of it. And I wasn't necessarily enjoying the process. Whereas this time around, I feel so strongly that I was called back into it for a purpose greater than myself, that I'm not as focused on the end result. I'm more focused on the people around me and the community that I have. And so it's really about getting my story out there telling my story and bringing people along with me in the successes and the failures and really trying to live as a living testimony or as an example of someone who is doing something scary or taking a leap of faith. And so my mission is every single day, loving what I'm doing, pursuing with my whole heart and being a good example to my teammates, my coworkers, my friends, the people around me. And I'm not perfect. A really good example of my imperfection is I was actually at a morning practice one morning. It's like six o'clock in the morning. Everyone's exhausted. I had been having a little bit of a rough week and I like had a moment where I snapped at my teammate and I was not proud of the way I acted. And I was like, that is not the leader that I want to be. And it was really cool because instead of pretending like it didn't happen, I originally was ashamed of myself. I was like, wow, this is so bad. But then I realized that there's an opportunity for growth and a testimony everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I actually ended up apologizing her to her multiple times. And I think that that's a really cool moment because yes, we, we make mistakes and my mission is to be a good leader, but part of being a good leader is owning up to your mistakes right. and being honest about that and having conversations, whether it's um, asking for an apology or whatever it might be. And so, for me, that's what this journey is about. It's about owning up to my mistakes. It's about choosing to be intentional. It's about making every single day and every single conversation matter. Um, and if I do that, no matter what the outcome of this is, I've succeeded in my mind. Right. Have you heard the, have you heard the quote? It's my favorite quote. I've said it a million times on here. Have you heard the quote, there is no test without, or wait, there is no test. How did I say it? That's what it is. Without the test, there's no testimony. Yeah. Have you heard that? I have not, but That's why there's a lot of truth to that. I heard, my, I heard Mike Tyson say it a couple months ago, and I've been saying it ever since, because it, yeah. it so goes with my, you know, my story, and it goes with your story, too. Like, yeah. even the instance you're talking about where you're yelling at your teammate, like, you have no testimony without having not been tested. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And, and life is really interesting like that, because... You know, there, there are moments where we all think, okay, wouldn't it be nice to have like a perfect smooth sailing life where every day is amazing? 
But I think like part of the reason why life is hard and why we have these tough moments is because that is what brings growth. Like how do we enjoy the happy moments if we don't have hard moments and how do we grow and how do we evolve if we don't have, you know, a method of doing that. And I always kind of refer back to the way a diamond is made. A diamond is originally a piece of coal that's put under extreme pressure for a very long period of time that then turns it into this very incredible, hard, stunning, beautiful, precious stone. Mm -hmm. And for me, I try to reflect that in my own life where I'm like, okay, I'm under extreme pressure right now and this is really hard right now, but this is what's turning me into a diamond. And I think that really is amazing. And I'll refer to this. Um, there's a Bible verse, Romans 5, 3 through 5. I always refer back to it. It talks about um, suffering leads to perseverance, perseverance, hope, and so on and so forth. And I think that's like something I replay in my mind when life gets really hard. Right. That's good. That's really good. What, what is it? So someone that I watched the Olympics on TV, right? Yeah. What as an Olympian, yeah. what does it look like for you behind the scenes? Like, I see you when you come up and you get on the board. Other than that, I have no idea what you're at, where you're doing. Like, what are, yeah. what are the other athletes doing? Or like, are they, what does it look like? Yeah, well, I mean, first and foremost, it's hours and hours and hours and hours of painstaking work behind the scenes, especially in a sport like mine. Um, it requires a lot of consistency, right? You have to do multiple flips in the air, stop the dive at vertical, and hit it. So very difficult thing to do. Oh, is that what it is? And yeah. You stop then. Well, you have to, you're flipping and then you come out of the dive. Right. And you're trying to make as little splash as possible. Right. Um, and it looks very easy. You know, you're watching it on TV and you're like, oh yeah, this, I could totally do that. Um, but to actually be successful at it, especially in competition, you have to do repetition after repetition after repetition. So a lot of it is consistency. So behind the scenes, you know, we're training 25 to 30 hours a week in the weight room doing cardio and in the pool, working on that consistency. And then when you get to the competition, that's when you're really showing off all that hard work that you've put in. Yeah. And, you know, um, it, especially at the Olympics, it's, it's really unique because you're competing in this massive arena. It's like you step into a building and it's just this huge open space with the lights and cameras and the best athletes in the world and it's one of these uh, it's an amazing atmosphere and the stands are packed full not in the olympics i was in because it was the covid olympics but in most cases they're packed was there, was there a little was there a little bit of you that was like what the fuck i can't believe the one olympics i go to covid's going on yeah you know it was not ideal there are a lot of things that we didn't get to do that you normally would have been able to do we were sitting between plastic barriers eating and we had to take COVID tests every day and you weren't able to interact with people the way you normally would. So you didn't even really get to experience the off time that normally, normally an Olympian would. No. That's was, what I, cause that's what I was asking about earlier. Like, yeah. what are you guys doing when you're not actually when we're not competing? competing? Yeah. I mean, Where? when you're not competing before, before your competition period, it's really training, right? You're training, you're getting massages, you're eating healthy, you're resting, all of that. So you're locked in because you're there for a job. Yeah. And so that's really it. Like you're, you're fully focused on that. 
But after you're competing, in most cases, once you're done, you have, you know, the rest of the time in the Olympic Village or whatever village it might be. And that's when you get to actually go watch other events and cheer on other teams and explore the city and things like that. And so it's pretty cool as an athlete being able to go to these events because you are locked in and you get to compete. And then it's like the second you're done competing, it's like a... It's like you can take a sigh of relief uh, and, and then you can have the some fun. Yeah. Oh, I can't even wrap my head around that. <laughs> like the, the pressure, the pride, everything that just comes with that. A, a lifetime of hard work and dedication and blood, sweat and tears all coming to that moment. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And the opening ceremonies are amazing, too. I was able to go to the opening ceremonies yeah. in Tokyo. And I think one of the funniest stories, if you're a basketball fan... Um, we were standing in this hallway and it was like, we're packed in there like sardines, right? And we're sweating like crazy because Tokyo is super hot and humid and we're just waiting to kind of enter in to the arena. And it was one of the sailor girls birthdays. And so, you know, her teammates decided it'd be fun to, to sing happy birthday to her. So people start singing happy birthday and like slowly, you know, it just like reverberates through the whole hallways. Like everyone starts saying happy birthday. And it's so cool. And a few minutes after we had finished singing happy birthday to her, Kevin Durant was like 10 feet behind me. And somebody thought it would be a good idea to sing happy birthday to him. And so, even though it was not his birthday. And so the whole hallway again erupts in happy birthday to Kevin Durant. And he was not super happy about it. But I was like, man, he's so close to me. I got to take a picture with him because he was a Longhorn, fellow Longhorn, you know. Right. And so <laughs> I like go backwards and I go to take a picture with him and I like tap him on the arm and he's like so tall. I'm like 5'3 and I'm like looking up at him. I'm like, can I take a picture with you? And he looks over at his teammates and he was like, y'all are supposed to be guarding me. Like who let her in the circle? And I was like, oh no, like Kevin is really? mad at me. But then there's like a picture of me and I have it on my phone of me standing there masked up and he has his mask on and I'm just like pointing up at him. <laughs> and it's just like one of those moments where I was like, I get to meet Kevin Durant. We got so to pop that picture up on that. I know, I got, I got to send you the picture. Um, and so it was one of those like cool moments where, you know, you're all in the opening ceremonies and... So, um, yeah, it was, it was really fun being able to do that. And did then you, obviously did you flash from the horns walking up to let I, him know? I didn't. See, that was the thing. People were like, why didn't you, like, do the hook on You shouldn't have told him you were a longhorn. And I was like, I was caught up in the moment. I didn't think about it. Damn. <laughs> Come on, KD. What's going I on? Oh, I thought we were cool. Maybe he'll see this and be like, apologize. I'm just kidding. He probably won't. But. KD sees the podcast. We're doing something right. <laughs> no, that's, that's amazing. So... What is it like for your family as you dedicate so much time to this sport? Like, what is it? What is it like for your family? What is it like for your personal life? Yeah, well, I mean, for my family, it's pretty big in the sense that, like, they've dedicated so much time, energy, and effort into helping me be where I am. I would not be where I am or who I am without them. My parents sacrificed so much for me growing up for me to be able to do my sport. And they have truly supported me in so many ways. You know, I saw my mom braid my hair before I compete. Like, they have been very involved and very supportive, and I'm forever thankful for that. Um, it's definitely been hard in some ways on me and on them, but they've just been so consistent. So I'm thankful for that. 
And in terms of my community and my social life, like all my friends are aware that I'm on this journey. So they've all been very supportive, asking for updates and things like that, which I'm really thankful for. But at the same time, I'm so busy. I'm, I'm working part time, 25 hours a week. I'm training 30 hours a week. And on top of that, I'm involved in different organizations. And so I just don't have as much time as I used to have. And so I think that's been the biggest struggle is still wanting to maintain my relationships, but also realizing that I'm not capable of doing everything that I was capable of doing before. Um, and so it's been, a, it's been a bit of a battle on both sides, but I've learned time management. I've learned how to say no, um, which is one of the hardest things to do. I think saying no yeah. when you want to say yes. So, yeah. That is, that is tough. So what does when on the, when you do have some free time or when your schedule gets a little bit, you know, post Olympics and stuff like that, what does fun look like to you? What are you doing to go out and let loose? Yeah. What is fun? I feel like fun for me is different than it is for like most people. Maybe not, but I'm just kind of like it. Probably why you're going to hear in the Olympics. <laughs> I'm the kind of person I love spending time outside. So I think my favorite thing really is getting up on the wake surf or the wakeboard. And I have a few incredible friends here who have you know access to boats, which has been a really amazing way for me to let loose over the past couple of years. And it's something I just love to do. There's nothing more powerful than like feeling the wind in your face and the water and the sun. It's, it's very, it's a very cool feeling. Um, so that's something I love to do. Um, I love networking, which is like not something that people think is fun, but I think hearing the stories of other people, like hearing your story, is fascinating and you learn so much from it. So that's just kind of something I do in my pastime for fun. And yeah, just so anything outside, meeting people, talking to people, and I like building things. Um, so always trying to like create in some form or fashion, whether it's creating artwork or trying to build an initiative or whatever it might be. Right. Since you love nature, we can get you out on the trail, make you a trail runner. Oh, I don't think you want to see me run. I can run a 3K and that's about it. Stop it. No, I'm serious. Stop diving it. diving is not a cardio sport. Right. It's like, get me, out, get me out for sprints. You know, like I'll sprint all day long. No but sprints. like, you, oh, why my throat? But yeah, I'm, I'd honestly rather do like 20 hill sprints than run a 3K. I'm not even kidding. Really? Yeah. I just like, it's, it's so running. I've tried. I've really, I've tried so hard to get into it and it's just some people I feel like are not meant for it right you're right you're <laughs> right it was not anything I ever thought I would get into but yeah thankfully I did yeah so you're synchronized diving I do synchro and individual Synchro and individual yeah. so when you go to the Olympics should we do them both that's the goal we have Olympic trials in June of this year okay. and so th after that I'll know whether I made it in both events or just one or none so as a as a diver, what what is there more pressure on the fact when it, there's just one of you, or when there's two? I would say you know it's different, because if there's another person, there's more variables right. in it, um, which can in some cases make it harder. But it's also really fun. It's a very individual sport, and so when you get to share that with somebody else, that is really fun right. to do that. And she's also a Christian, and so we share faith, like we pray before our events and things like that, which I think is is really powerful. So I'd say synchro is more fun. Individual, I feel like you definitely feel more pressure because it's just you. Yeah. It's like you're literally standing on a diving board, three meters above the water, and you have judges wearing suits just like staring at you. 
and like the whole crowd everyone's just staring at you and no mistake everybody, is it like everyone seems everything quiet shit, everything right? is quiet yeah completely quiet and so it's just kind of one of those things where it's like very it, it's it can be very stressful i i would i would argue that it's one of the most stressful things that someone can do yeah <laughs> i i can only imagine the i would think the if it was just me diving then at least i know you said it's more pressure yeah. I think if it, if it were me, I think I'd try to trick my brain and be like, all right, well, if I mess if I mess up, then at least I'm not disappointing anybody else, my yeah. my partner or anything like that. But yeah. I I think if I was a diver like that, I'd I'd want somebody to go along the ride with. Yeah. Just the highs and the lows and be able to share it with somebody. Yeah, for sure. It's it's really nice. It it makes an individual individual sport more of a team sport, which right. I really enjoy. And again, being in an individual sport is is pretty difficult. Um, you can't hide your flaws behind anyone else. You know, it's just, it's you and you alone. And, um, and that's hard, but also it's important to remember that, you know, your support network is behind you and that makes it a little less stressful. Right. So. When I was young, younger, uh, my, my mother did a, a program it was for inner city kids. And so they would bus, bus kids from the inner city on and they bring them on to you know, Youngstown State University and they were able to use their facilities. And so it was like a structured summer program, basically. Yeah. So I, I had my group of kids and uh, we would take them to the pool. Yeah. So it's an Olympic sized swimming pool. They got the diving boards and then the, the dive platforms. And so I was never a big diver, Yeah. Um, but I could swim and stuff like that. And so the one day I was joking around and behind us of cameras can't see, there's uh, the regular diving board and then yeah. the, the higher one. Yeah. And so I went off those, and then the kids started daring me to go off the platforms. Oh, I was man. like, oh, yeah, no problem. And so I went off the first one. What I never took into account was the fact how deep the pool is. Uh-huh, yeah. And so the platform is already high, but now you're looking down and seeing the bottom of an Olympic-sized uh -huh. deep pool. Yeah. And so I did the first one, and then every day we would go in there, they would egg me on. And so I got up to the second one. Yeah. And I was like, there's no chance I'm going off the third one. <laughs> this is so high. Yeah. It hurts so bad. But that was, yeah. that was the limits of my... My yeah. diving right there. It's definitely scary. Like when you're looking down, especially when you're looking down from the 10 meter, that's about 30 feet. And then the pool is normally about 18 feet deep. And so you're adding, you know, an additional what? 18 feet to what you're seeing. And so it's already high as it is. And then you're looking all the way down. It's, it's definitely pretty, you know, scary. Um, but I did platform for a little bit and then it ended up sticking to the springboard, right. which is the bouncy one. Cause it's, I just enjoyed it better. I would, I think I would too. So when you're diving and you're, you're going through practice, yeah. I, I, I have to imagine you're making small, intricate changes. Yeah. But every, you need to do it. You jump off the board, yeah. you jump out of the water, jump off the board. Yeah. You can only do that so many times. So like how, in a practice, how many times do you dive in? Um, it really depends on the practice and what you're doing. I would say you get anywhere between probably 30 to 40. 45 dives in i don't know if that's correct um sometimes more than less but yeah you're right it is like you go and you go and you just, you're jumping and you're falling and you're getting out of the pool it's it's very repetitive but i will say each dive is unique and different and you're working on different corrections and so it's kind of like you kind of have your routine um that you go through but i find it really fun mainly because i enjoy the act of diving i think it's really cool. I was describing this to someone the other day. It's a really magical moment when you're, when you're good. Mm -hmm. 
because there's something about kind of hitting the end of the diving board and it kicks you up and you just float and your body is just kind of floating in the air and oftentimes you know I'm doing my favorite dive which is a double out so that's two and a half flips with two twists you're really like you're floating in the air and your body's doing all these flips and these twists and you see kind of the room spinning around you and you've done it so many times that everything kind of slows down a little bit mm-hmm. and there's nothing more amazing than being in full control of your body while also processing all of like the room spinning around you it's it's truly you know an amazing feeling and anyone who's in you know aerial skiing or snowboarding or gymnastics or something like that probably knows this feeling um but it i just love the i love it i love doing it i love feeling it i love the power it's it's pretty amazing when when you hit the water do you know like this was a good one yeah i've been doing it long enough to know whether it was good or bad for the most part i can i hit the water and i'm pretty much like oh like I can probably predict what this is going to score to some extent. Really? Yeah. There's got to be, is, I wonder what's said underwater for people when they don't do a dive. Say that again? I said, I wonder what's said underwater <laughs> by divers when it's not a good dive. Yeah. Um, I've definitely cussed a few times underwater. Only a few? <laughs> only a few. No, those pet dives are only pretty good, you know? Oh, there you go. That's one. There's that's a lot one. of laughter. I, I definitely will say, like, Sometimes I'll smack is a rare occurrence, but sometimes I'll smack on the water, which is like landing flat and I'll just come up laughing. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes I'll be laughing so hard that I'll literally like kind of start drowning because yeah. I'm like laughing, like trying to breathe and trying yeah. to like get water to gasp for it. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty fun. Um, actually, it's not fun, but it's funny. <laughs> right. So this is my favorite question to ask on the podcast. Yeah. What is your fight zone? You are walking out. I wasn't prepared for this. So normally I ask people if they're walking out for the UFC title tonight. But yeah. For you, I'm saying you're walking up to the board, and we're not going to say it's the Olympics. It's some championship where they play. Yeah. Music. What is the song that gets you fired up, ready to handle business? Uh, um. Okay. So I really like Final Countdown, like the original version. Oh, okay. Like that's okay. a classic. Like I can totally get like ramped up to that one. Uh, there's definitely like. A lot of pretty good ones. I'll, anything that's like an inspirational instrumental that like has a good build to it, I can like, I get really excited about. There's something moving about instruments building. I just, I think it's so cool. And then I do have songs that calm me down, um, which is equally as important as okay. getting hyped up yeah. because I'm the kind of person that needs to control my heart rate. So that's when I'll listen to like Christian music that actually helps me remember my purpose. And there's a song called Different by Micah Taylor. And the lyrics are, um, I want to be different. I want to be changed till all of me is gone. And the only thing that remains is, uh, I don't know. I can't think of the rest of the lyrics. I have to like look it up right now um, or at some point. But basically, whenever I listen to that chorus, it's just like, okay, like this is not about me. Um, And it kind of reminds me of who I am and what I'm meant to be doing, so. what would you say is your favorite movie of all time? Man, I'm so bad at questions like this because I'm like, you thought th- we, I don't you, get passionate. You thought we were only going to be talking about, about diving. No, I don't. We need to know the person. Favorite movie, favorite movie, favorite. Maybe from childhood? Uh, you know, 
I can't say I really have like a true favorite movie, but yeah. since we're doing this and it's like the holiday season right now, okay, I would say like The Grinch, the Jim Carrey version of it, because it's just I I've always loved that movie ever since. I, actually, when I first watched it, I was terrified of it, but as I got older, I started like kind of relating to The Grinch in yeah. some ways. You know, people always are surprised when I say that, but there's so no. many scenes. Where I do too. Like, you know, I do. I, I do too. I'm just surprised anybody else does. <laughs> like, there's this one scene where he's talking about his schedule, and he's like, "Dinner with me. Can't cancel that again." And I'm just like, you know what? I relate. You know, it's kind of funny. Just there, there are scenes like that. Um, and so I, I would say the Grinch is probably my best answer right now. All right. If I asked you your favorite show, would that be a hard question too? Yeah. I what mean, show are you looking forward to watching when you're done, when the, when, the, when the training slows down and you're ready to relax? Um, well, I will say I, I don't have to wait until I'm done training, but the new season of Reacher just came out. Oh, I saw that. And I'm very excited about it. Choice. I'm so It's so good. The first season, I, I have loved that show through and through. It's so, so good. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited to start that one. I think they should get him to play the new Batman. Yeah, he's amazing. I love. I just. I love his character. I just love. I want to meet him in person. You know, because you always see someone in a TV show, and you're like, ah, like I love this person. But then I always wonder, they're just as cool in person or not. Sure, nice to meet you, Olympian. <laughs> What's up? Um, so I want to. I'd like to throw out a couple just. One word things. Yeah. If you would just give me the first thing that comes to mind. Oh my goodness. Okay. Speed round. First thing I'm ready. that comes to mind. It's fun. <laughs> God. Just God? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Faith. Wholehearted faith. That's good. I don't know. It's good. Like perfect. <laughs> Training. Dedication. Olympics. Purpose. Failing. Meaning. The United States of America. Cried. Let's go. Good, one. <laughs> Good one. That was great. Um, so let's say there's a, a girl out there or a man, anybody watching this, and they, they hear your story and it really resonates with them, but they're not, you know, what you've been through and everything like that, but they're not doing well at this time. What would your advice be to somebody like that that they find inspiration in your story? Yeah, I would say if somebody's listening, I really want them to recognize that the place they're in right now is just, it's just a time, it's just a phase and you will get out of it. And that for my life, um, I see it as deserts and gardens and most of my life is in a desert, which means that you are grinding and it is difficult and you're sacrificing. And some days you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but eventually you get to a garden, which is where you're able to look back and take a break for a second and see all of that hard work and where it led. And so I would just say, if you're in a desert, keep pushing through that desert, surround yourself with people who inspire you, who make you a better person every single day and just keep fighting to get to that garden and recognize that what you're going through right now is an amazing learning experience. And there is 
always something you can learn and take away from the most difficult, painful circumstances. And that's something I've learned from my life in so many ways. That's beautiful. Yeah. Very good. Um, so the one way we like to usually wrap up the podcast, it's called the I Am Redemption Podcast. Yeah. And so when I say that, I don't want anyone to always think I'm only talking about myself. Yeah. We've all been through stuff. We've all been through adversity. Hopefully we come out on the other side of it. Yeah. And so I, I asked the guests if they would please look into the camera yeah. and throw out some I am statements to let them know who you are. Yeah. Okay. My I am statements are, I am a Christian. I'm resilient. I am a sister. I am a friend. And um, I don't know if I have any more I am statements. I am on a mission. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> that was perfect. That was great. Um, do you have a, you have an Instagram handle or anything you want to throw out for people to follow? Your yeah, journey? for sure. If y'all want to follow my journey, you can find me on Instagram at AAG Texas. I'm from Texas. So, you know, gotta have it in that Instagram handle. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. I posted a few things on there. So if you want to follow my journey there, you can. And if you ever have any questions or want to chat, feel free to DM me on Instagram. Um, I would love to hear your stories and inspire you in any way that I can. That was great. That was amazing. Thank you so thank much. You. I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I know you're a tremendously busy woman. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you sitting down and uh, sharing your experience, sharing some inspiration. Um, it was great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. It was so fun. I'm honored that y'all wanted to talk to me. Of course. And trust when it comes 2024. Yeah. Olympics are where? They're in Paris. Paris, okay. Paris 2024. And in January, early August, kind of splitting those two months. So, uh, yeah. I trust I will be turning in. I'm sure everybody else on the team will be turning in and we'll be cheering. Awesome. Thank, right. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.